Hello, I'm Nikki Chadwick. What exactly is the circular economy and how can it make a massive contribution to saving our natural assets, minimising waste and pollution and to tackling global challenges such as climate change and biodiversity loss? That's what we're going to find out. The circular economy is a different way of thinking about how we produce and consume, using resources more efficiently by using them more than once. In this episode, we're going to look at how the transport sector is evolving to reduce its impact on human health, the environment, global warming and the extraction of natural resources, working towards making the entire life cycle of vehicles as efficient as possible reducing waste and pollution as much as possible. Joining me now is Dr. Maya Bendraw, who is the Industry Manager for Automotive and New Mobility at the World Economic Forum in Geneva. Dr. Bendraw has over a decade and a half of global experience in public, private and third sector settings focused on clean tech and sustainable transportation. And at the World Economic Forum, she leads sustainable automotive and mobility work, including the Global New Mobility Coalition. Dr. Bendrill, thank you very, very much indeed for joining us. Can you tell me how mobility fits into the circular economy? Hey, Nikki. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, um, the automotive industry and mobility as a whole plays a key role in quite a few of the most polluting industries. It is one of the three polluting industries, but directly contributes the consumptions of steel, for example. The automotive industry is responsible for 13% of global steel consumption. That's just one example. So what do you see as the way forward for zero emission vehicles, using public transport more? What, What do you think are the solutions? Well, there is no silver bullet. Um, We do need to step out of a current lock-in in how we move and how we move things. Um, Yes, the transition away from polluting vehicles, those that have tailpipe emissions, would be a good solution, but it's not always possible, at least not in the immediate term. Um, And all in all, we should probably think about sharing rides so that every kilometer traveled by a vehicle on the road, in the oceans and in the air, um, carries as much capacity as possible and therefore becomes more efficient. And that translates to overall less vehicles. So if we're looking at a projection of, say, um, 2.5 billion cars by 2050, by just shifting away from a product model and into mobility as a service, our assumption is that we can bring down that um, amount of vehicles uh, quite significantly to about 0.5 billion. So that um, on its own would deliver quite a, quite a large footprint. But I have to say that the movement we're seeing now by both nations committing to phasing out of internal combustion cars and companies that are committed to transitioning into zero emission vehicles and net zero vehicle as well, and um, is very encouraging. But what about the parts that are used? We hear a lot about battery manufacturing. Um, is as polluting for the environment um, as driving a car for 40,000 kilometres. How does that level out? 
there has been quite a, quite a lot of debate over the past, I would say, two decades on whether or not the transition to battery-powered vehicles um, would bring us the carbon reduction we need. And I think over time, the consensus has been reached. We are able to deliver the reduction we need to, and that is manifests in the decisions that governments have made and that companies have made. That said, I don't think we should be technology prescriptive and any transition away from burning fossil fuels for every kilometer we ride would make sense. Now, it comes with a lot of responsibility as we transition into new resources, new manufacturing lines, and new afterlife markets that include hazardous materials like batteries. Um then we should be planning ahead quite well. And this is why we have, together with a community of over 100 companies, NGOs, and governments have set up the Cyclic Cars Initiative in Davos 2020, looking into a future where we transition into um, a zero-emission tailpipe, but then with that, we will see by 2040 about 60-70% of emissions from the life cycle of a car coming from its sourcing, manufacturing, and afterlife, as opposed to only 20% today. And therefore, we do need to work together collaboratively to make sure that we're using the best materials that we can. We recycle those materials because we don't have enough of it, and it's going to be depleted. And there are a lot of geopolitical dependencies at stake, and we're not doing a very good job now as we speak, but we can. And with that recognition, we see a very diverse community coming together and making some bold announcements around how they're going to create a circular vehicle in the medium term and how they're already setting up partnerships to create the right demand models so that suppliers can have the assurance that they can go into net zero manufacturing. That's Again, very encouraging, but lots of work to do. So is the automotive industry supporting the changes? I guess that we're seeing the few different stakeholders acting. The European Commission, for example, put out a note on the creation of a battery passport. So a greater accountability over how batteries are being uh, resourced and manufactured that is planned to uh, be announced around the spring of 2024. And we also see industry players and NGOs coming together in a German context through the Battery Passport Initiative supported by the Global Battery Alliance and Systemic and Circular Cars Initiatives and others already trying to test it, already trying to see, you know, putting their foot in the ground, how does the Battery Passport um, can work well? And that's just, those are just two examples. I also want to shift back to steel because that's also quite an important moment in history at COP26, we've seen the first bulk of net zero steel manufactured in Sweden. And we also see a label <laughs> coming up. So there is one automotive manufacturer, Polestar, who is talking about putting a label on the car, informing consumers of uh, the consumption, all in all consumption of carbon by the vehicle through its manufacturing and sourcing. Um, yeah, very encouraging again. And how important is it that we move away from individual car ownership? That can play a very big role, but it also is quite challenging in developed markets that have this socioeconomic lock-in in them. 
assuming that you drive a car, Nikki, that 95% of the time the car is sitting idle, then you actually have a product um, that has consumed a lot of materials, a lot of very polluting materials, sitting doing nothing. And when you think about it from a secular standpoint, it's not only that you'd like to make better use of a, of a product you own, but also you want to be more accountable for every, every carbon and molecule that has been put into that vehicle and the result of that vehicle being trashed at the end of its 11 years life. So yes, if you as an individual, if each and every one of us as individuals will think twice on whether or not we should, we can replace the ride that we might naturally use the car for. Um, in a different uh, format, it can be a multi-leg trip. It doesn't have to be hopping into transit because if you don't have a bus stop nearby, you might take a scooter or bike. When scooters and bikes are not things that you have to own, um, you can rent them by the minute. Um, and then you hop into a bus or, or a transit and you'll do qu quite well. We actually have created um, a set of principles to the capturing of carbon emissions from different mobility options in this context of cities, together with uh, a few companies and NGOs um, earlier this year. And what we've seen is that there is great alignment by industry as well, by these mobility operators, new and incumbents, to speak about the overall carbon emissions that, put, that are put into every mile or every kilometer travel. There is um, a great role in us making a choice. There is no regulation currently on reporting um, those, these data points, but uh, there soon might be. There are already a few regulators that are thinking about how in the urban context we can equip mobility users with the right set of information so that they can make informed decisions on their own carbon footprint. So would you say that you are optimistic that um, mobility can play a big part in the circular economy? I am, but it does come with a lot of challenges. I want to take us into emerging markets for a moment because that's where we are seeing that there, in many cases, there is no lock-in. So the majority of people do not own a car. Yeah, if you were to compare, you would have around um, 800 vehicles per 1,000 people in the U.S., about 500 vehicles for 1,000 people in, in Europe on average. Um, and you would have uh, around 300, 250 per 1,000 people in China, <laughs> which is the largest automotive, uh, growing automotive market, largest by production and sales. Um, and the numbers are very small in many of the emerging markets. And we don't necessarily see a desire to move into a car. We actually see a phenomena where um, people would like to leapfrog that stage, similarly to how they've, in many cases, leapfrogged credit cards and, and started using apps to make payments. You know, I did a study when I was doing my master's um, in Oxford on two and three wheelers in China. And I investigated the phenomena of two and three wheelers, electric two and three wheelers, um, as you know, being a user of one of those uh, the previous years. And what I've noticed is that about 30% of people who are using small motorcycles in the third ring road of Beijing city are um, actually car owners, but they would rather not use their car because it's too congested. 
they had uh, almost zero safety concerns because the amount of people using those scooters in a dedicated bike lane often uh, gave them the safety uh, feeling that they needed. But what they have done for socioeconomic reasons, uh, they would take their car keys in their pockets and put it on the table if they're going for a meeting where they need to impress. But by all means, on the day-to-day, they would not have used it. Um, And to me, this was an amazing moment to see that, you know, the choices we make um, should make sense to us, should be, you know, in our our, um, natural sense would be, let's be efficient with our own time. And as long as conditions allow, um, say, health and, and safety, then and, and the speed of the vehicles, then, of course, you would use um, two and three wheeler instead. And in transit as well, as you pointed out, if the transit system is um, advanced enough, comfortable and safe to, to everyone. Dr. Bendrill, thank you very, very much indeed. Joining us now is Duncan Kay, who is Vice Chair of the Group of Rapporteurs on Pollution and Energy, or GRPE, of the World Forum for Harmonisation of Vehicle Regulation. He also works in the International Vehicle Standards Division of the UK Government's Department for Transport. Duncan, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Please tell me a little bit about GRPE. GRPE is, as you said, a forum for developing world harmonised regulations, uh, specifically on pollution and energy. So it's a group of experts meeting alongside industry to develop harmonised regulations, tackling those issues. And how successful is that forum? How are you able to standardise world regulations? I think I'd say it was very successful. We've we've had over 150 regulations developed under Working Party 29 and tackling all aspects of of vehicle regulation. They have a huge effect because they they apply to a huge number of vehicles that are produced globally. And how can you ensure that there are the regulations are applicable to each country? Because of course there are different realities in every country, each has its own experience and ways of moving towards a a circular economy. How can you standardize things? So that's a good question. Of course, um, circumstances will be different in in every country. But I I think when you're dealing with the automotive industry, you're you're dealing with a, a huge global organizations, some of the biggest companies in the world are are vehicle manufacturers. Um, And so tackling regulations on a a global scale and and trying to harmonize those um, is the most efficient and effective way of of regulating that industry. And indeed, manufacturers welcome that approach because it enables them to meet the requirements in the most cost-effective ways. By setting common standards across markets, then they can design products in the most efficient and effective way to meet those standards. And how is that measured? So you're looking at the whole process from raw materials to manufacturing to use and then what happens to the materials afterwards. How can you measure what's um, what's being achieved? So I, I think it's hugely important that we do look across the whole process. And in, in terms of of how we measure it, that that's an absolutely critical question. And that's 
one of the hardest things with, as I said, you know, these are huge companies with, with long and complex supply chains and trying to, to come up with a harmonized approach to measuring the impacts, particularly when you start looking at the manufacturing side of things, it is a very complex thing to do. So that that's why I think that the GRPE is the right place to, to start to do that. It's the, the appropriate forum with the expertise uh, necessary. And so that's what we're going to start tackling uh, going forward. So how can regulations help to make sure that all people who are involved in the transport industry, the mobility industry, are on a level playing field um, when it comes to shifting towards a circular economy? I think global regulation is is absolutely key in achieving a level playing field and requiring the same performance from uh, in all countries, from all players in the industry. The supply chains are, are long and complex and the vehicle manufacturers will be working very closely with those supply chains to make sure that the overall products meet the requirements that are set. We work very closely in GRPE with the manufacturers themselves to ensure that we develop the appropriate regulations that will apply across the, those whole supply chains. And what do you see as, I suppose, the major challenges ahead for you? The really tough part is, is agreeing ways of tackling and, and regulating manufacturing processes. When you look at their whole life cycle impacts, conventional petrol and diesel vehicles, most of the greenhouse gas emissions are associated with the in-use phase, and therefore vehicle regulators have focused on that area in particular. When you see the shift to battery electric vehicles, um, there's a much greater emphasis on the manufacturing phase because the in-use phase for an electric vehicle, the vehicles operating much more efficiently. It has much lower greenhouse gas emissions during its use, but the manufacturing phase is more energy intensive. And so we've seen a shift in the balance between the different phases. And so the, the big challenge now is to agree a harmonized approach to measuring raw material extraction, manufacturing processes, how we set the boundaries for, for measuring that and ensuring that there are accurate reporting processes um, followed for that. And manufacturers are doing a huge amount of work in this area themselves. They, they understand that society expects responsible environmental and social governance. But I think every manufacturer may be taking a different approach. And so what we're hoping to do in GRPE is to bring that together and, and have those conversations with manufacturers and, and find a way of, of agreeing a harmonized approach to tackling manufacturing phase. The other aspect that I think is going to be a real challenge going forward is, of course, the end of life phase when we're shifting, we're seeing a, a huge shift now. Um, it's really accelerating the, the shift to battery electric vehicles. And so when those vehicles come to the end of their life, we, we're going to be left with huge challenges as to the recycling of those batteries or, or reuse of the batteries. And so to close the loop on, the, on that circular economy, um, we're going to have to see big developments in, in how we tackle the increased 
scale necessary for the increased number of, numbers of batteries. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Duncan. Joining me now is Francois Cuneau, Secretary to the Party on Pollution and Energy under UNEC's World Forum for Harmonisation of Vehicle Regulations. Francois, thank you very much indeed for joining us. You've obviously heard what Mayor Ben Draw and Duncan Kay have been saying. What are your thoughts about that? Hi, Nikki. Thanks for the invitation. I agree with what Maya said that we really need uh, to reach a circular economy and, and circular mobility, that we need to have a, a real holistic view of the whole transport system and really look at the main pillars to try to avoid travel when not necessary, the shift maybe to the least intensive uh, uh, carbon intensive modes, and of course improve the existing vehicles. And as well as what Duncan uh, said and what we're doing here in, in UNECE is really to work closely on how to improve the vehicles and how to make sure they have a, a, a lower environmental footprint. Now, we've heard how it's a huge challenge to make our transport and mobility less resource intensive and more circular. Um, but also, as you say, what progress has been made. International coordination, international cooperation is obviously very important to be able to deliver results. What is the role of UNACE when it comes to the role of cooperation? So we work with all countries. So we host, uh, UNEC hosts the World Forum for Harmonization of Vehicle Regulation. So we sit down with all the countries all over the globe uh, to really uh, try to find best ways to lower the environmental footprint of the vehicle and to uh, rely on lower uh, resource intensity. And what we've achieved uh, over the past uh, few years, and we are very active on this field, is, for example, some colleagues have worked on uh, how to incentivize carpooling and car sharing in uh, Eastern Europe regions. And we especially, uh, as part of the World Forum for Harmonization of Vehicle Regulations, and then me in my working party on pollution and energy, uh, we've worked quite a lot on energy decarbonization and making sure the vehicles are more energy efficient uh, by providing some harmonized uh, test procedure on how to measure the fuel economy and the CO2 emissions of the vehicle, which is a quite important tool. Uh, for the people when they make the purchase decision to make sure that they're able to compare the vehicles and to make sure they choose uh, the the best and the most fuel efficient vehicles. We've also worked uh, on material circularity. Uh, we have one UN regulation which really defines uh, targets on uh, what share of the vehicle should be uh, recoverable, recyclable at the end of its life. So what we do is we uh, prescribe uh, how the vehicle should be designed so it can be recycled at the end of its life, and that covers a, a significant share of the vehicles, uh, more than one quarter of all the vehicles sold globally. And last but not least, we've wrote recently on next technology vehicles and or existing emerging technology vehicles, such as the electric vehicle, and we've provided some uh, minimum performance requirements for the durability of the batteries in electric vehicles to make sure that the battery will last for at least eight years and 160,000 kilometers so that it doesn't have to be replaced regularly over the lifetime of the vehicle. What about the impact of used vehicles, much older vehicles that will have missed all of this new legislation? Um, how can you address this challenge, particularly as a lot of developing countries are importing older vehicles from Europe, for example? 
Yeah, I think that's quite an important topic and, and we are working with other partners to really help find uh, minimum requirements and we're working with exporting countries and with importing countries to make sure that they agree on minimum requirements on what kind of vehicles can be exported and what kind of vehicles can be imported to make sure that indeed uh, developing countries are not used just to send all the old vehicles which would be scrapped in those countries where there's no treatment facilities for those vehicles at the end of their lives. So yes, we're working closely with uh, with those countries, mainly in Africa in the first time, because they are major exporter, importers, sorry, of uh, used vehicles from Europe and from Japan. And so we want to make sure that yeah, uh, those countries are not used as a uh, waste repository for old cars, and they're very involved in these activities. And, and so, uh, by working with that, we want to make sure that all countries work together uh, to achieve that only used quality vehicles uh, reach those countries, because for them, it's also important to have access to, to mobility. There's obviously a huge amount of work to do, but what do you think are the most, are going to be the most promising developments in the years to come? Well, on this, uh, what we are working on now is really to have this uh, at the vehicle scale, uh, broad picture on the looking at all the environmental footprint of the vehicle over its lifetime and especially for the carbon footprint. So looking really at the manufacturing phase, as I said before, the use phase of the vehicle and the end of life phase. So really looking now at the whole chain because of all those new technologies that are emerging. They are shifting a bit the way the environmental impact is, is measured and is monitored. So you really need now to look at the whole chain and we, in my group, on the Working Party on Pollution and Energy, uh, we want to uh, closely uh, start working on harmonized ways on how to determine this kind of uh, environmental footprint of the vehicle over its lifetime. And this is a major uh, challenge and a major milestone that really need to be tackled now because uh, the way the, the new vehicles are, are working now with no tailpipe emissions, you really need to have a look at the whole supply chain, the fuel from the well to wheel, and the end of life, of course, how you treat the material at the end of their life. Very optimistic note to end the, um, the podcast on. Francois, thank you very much indeed for joining us. You've been listening to One World Zero Waste, the circular economy explained. Please use the hashtag One World Zero Waste to share your thoughts and look out for another episode shortly. Thank you for listening.